The following is a teaching message from the chapel in Tiatatu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz. What a beautiful name. What a wonderful name. What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. And Father God, we thank you for the privilege that is ours to come into your presence this morning. To worship you, to give back as we've been reminded the blessings that you've given us. And so we give you all praise and all glory for you alone are worthy. Come and speak to us, we pray. Continue to speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Last Sunday, uh, Andy opened our series, our four-week series, introducing us to the Old Testament prophet of Jonah. Jonah is specifically known as the prophet who was sent to the Assyrian capital, Nineveh, which is located about a thousand kilometres northeast of Jonah's hometown of Gath Hepha. It uh, was about 1990, 1991, I was living and pastoring in uh, Wainui Amata and had a guy come along and he needed some language experience. His name was Upram. And Upram said to me, his hometown, his family ancestry was Nineveh. And he spoke his native language was Aramaic and it was wonderful to spend time talking with him. Um, and it really connected to the story because sometimes these places are just like places in fairy stories. You've sort of heard the story before but this is a real place. And the impact of the story, Apram reminded me of that's his family history. The word of God being preached in places like Nineveh. And so that was the short journey that Jonah was sent on. But Jonah, however, headed southwest to Joppa and then caught a boat and headed as far, as far to the west as he could, to Tarshish. At least that was where he was heading. Soon the boat was caught in a terrifying Mediterranean storm. If you want to remember how bad the Mediterranean storms were, think back to those of us who were here when we went through the book of Acts and Paul's shipwrecks. And I was doing a bit of research, Paul was probably shipwrecked at least four times on the Mediterranean. And as we did that story, we picked up that along that coast of North Africa, along the Mediterranean, that coast is littered in shipwrecks. So this wasn't just a scary storm. This was terrifying. And Andy then took us through the narrative in which, among other things, Jonah confesses that the storm has come because of his disobedience. And he invites his companions to throw him overboard. In spite of their initial reluctance, they give way to fear, and Jonah is cast overboard, and the sea becomes calm. However, below the calm waters of the Mediterranean, Jonah is anything but calm. Tossed by the sea currents, Jonah sinks deep into the sea. And finding himself becoming tangled among the seaweed on the sea floor, Jonah cries out to God in desperation. And God hears him and delivers him to safety. Just not as quick as we would like. And not as quick as I'm sure Jonah was hoping. Because Jonah needed some time to think. If you check the emails that I send out, if you don't get the emails from me, drop me an email and I'll add you to our chapel chat so you get the emails I send out. But the last week of December I sent out an email reminding us 
that our spiritual discipline for January was silence and solitude. And right now, Jonah is getting a dish of silence and solitude. The Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Some translations have used the word whale. And then people argue, well, a man couldn't be swallowed by a whale. The original text actually says a great fish. But I thought I'd Google, can a man be swallowed, can a whale swallow a man? Now, there was a news article last year where a guy got caught up in the mouth of a whale and he got quickly washed out. And this Google article says, uh, no, they can't. It's actually physically impossible. While whales have huge mouths, their whale's throat is a lot smaller than you might expect, essentially the size of a human fist. So even if someone was swept into a whale's mouth, it wouldn't be long before they were swept out again. And the guy last year who got swallowed by the whale and spat out again pretty quickly was kind of grateful for that. But this was a great fish. Others, of course, have argued that in the belly of a great fish, without oxygen, because of the presence of all the digestive enzymes, you wouldn't last long there either. The problem with these sort of arguments and this sort of thinking is that while we are told that God provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, what actually God provided was a miracle. While our focus is often on the fish, on the great fish, it doesn't matter what kind of fish. It was a miraculous fish. It was a fish provided by God. It was a miracle that the fish was big enough to swallow Jonah. And it was a miracle that the fish was in the right place at the right time. And it was a miracle that Jonah survived three days in the belly of this great fish. How? I don't know. We have this propensity to want to know how. It's a simple question. How did that happen? But really the only answer we need is only God. When you find yourself out of your depth, when you find yourself struggling, when you find yourself sinking, fearing for life itself, you don't need an explanation. You need a miracle. You need a saviour who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. And so God sends a miracle to Jonah in the form of a great fish. And from inside the fish, Jonah prays to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the sea and the current swirled around me. Your waves, all the waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the root of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, I love that word in these sort of places, but you, but you Lord, 
But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Jonah says, I was going down and the only thing, I did the only thing I could. I looked up and I cried out. I looked up and I cried out. This is not some half-hearted, hey God, I'm in a bit of a mess right now. Can, can you get me out of here and quick? Rather, he declares, in my distress, from the deep, in the realm of the dead, you hurled me into the depths, the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled around me, and seaweed wrapped itself around my head, and I dank and sank into the greatest depths. And from there, he said, I had been banished in your sight, yet I will look toward your holy temple. You, Lord, brought my life up out of the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. There is no place you can go that when you call out to God, he won't hear an answer. If you take nothing else away from the service this morning, no matter how low you get, God is willing, able, and ready to rescue you if you cry out to him and if you're prepared to receive the answer that he offers. You know, I can imagine Jonah's drowning and he says, God, help me! And this great fish turns up and says, God, have you got another plan? He didn't know what's going to happen. How readily we would want God just to reach his hand down grab Jonah from the water and pull him up. And God could do that. But God had a better plan. Time out. God wanted to put Jonah in time out, or in this case, time in. And so Jonah resides in the belly of this great fish. And as he does, this conversation with God continues, and Jonah says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. As I read that, I can just hear him heading on to Nineveh, saying, this is what I'm going to do. That's what I said I would do. This is what I will do. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now, I don't think any of us are likely to have a Jonah experience. But I believe each of us needs some Jonah moments. For example, we need to listen for God's calling. To listen for the voice of God. That's why every Sunday, or almost every Sunday, third Sunday we do communion, every other Sunday it's like, what do you hear God saying? What do you see God doing? If we can live with those two questions, on our hearts every day, like you did out at uh, Spookers. You listened to God's Spirit, and God's Spirit was aching, and he asked you to pray. He stirred something in you. If we did that, but sometimes it's not the hearing and the seeing is the problem. Sometimes we know full well. Jonah was fully aware of what God had called him to. Most of us know what God is calling us to, at least some of it. 
We hear his voice. We have a stirring in our spirit. We read his word. It's not that we don't know what God wants. Like Jonah, most of us struggle to obey because obedience comes at a cost. It requires something of us. And sometimes we're not prepared to pay. And when we ignore that stirring and when we resist we know what we know God is asking of us, when we walk or run away from what God is calling us, the conviction that we feel may not be as public as Jonah's was. Everybody knew and everybody today knows what Jonah did. But if I have one prayer for this congregation in 2024, it's that we would stop running from what we hear God saying. That we would cry out, that we would surrender in worship, not just sung songs. We have been so blessed this morning. Thanks, Renee. But a lifestyle of worship. That's why I loved what you shared. Renee and I were talking during the week ahead of this morning and talking about worship and and we were talking about the fact that often she said to me, So how do you you know, do you need me to choose songs in line with your message? And I said, No, no, choose the songs that God leads you to. Choose the songs that bring us into his presence. And yet I'm watching every one of those songs and I'm going, that just so speaks into that space. Because it does cost us something. When God has blessed you with something and God says, now give it back to me as an act of worship, that's a cost. I believe that in 2024 at the chapel is to be a season of harvest. I was doing what Andy talked about. I've been doing it pretty consistently now for about six years, maybe a little bit longer. Finding a word, following it through scripture. Finding another word, following it through scripture. And last year I was looking at seasons. And as I was reflecting one morning, I believe God laid out for me the seasons that we have been through. Okay, sorry, nine years. Nine years in a couple of weeks' time. And in those nine years, I believe God laid out for me what those seasons have been that we've been through. All part of the preparation for harvest. And I believe God is saying that 2024 is to be a season of harvest. You know, I've had, been amazed at the number of people who have come to me and made comments in the last few months that they really have a sense that something fresh and new is coming in 2024. You hear it occasionally, but this is too often just to say, ah, oh, just a coincidence. There's that sense that something has shifted. And I believe that God has said that we are moving into a new season. In Galatians, we're told that a man reaps what he sows. If you sow to please the flesh, from the flesh you will reap destruction. But if you sow to please the Spirit, from the Spirit you will reap eternal life. And in Corinthians, that if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. And if you sow generously, you will reap generously. And I believe there are so many in this congregation who one way or another in this place and elsewhere have been sowing into things in God. God has laid some stuff on your heart. You've been speaking into that, praying into that, reading into that, preparing into that. And God wants to bring a harvest for you. More importantly, he wants to bring a harvest for himself. So we need to be, pay attention to what God is saying and doing and we need to 
sow to please the Spirit and we need to continue to sow generously. And then in 2 Samuel, the prophet Nathan comes to David and he says, uh, God says your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. He's not talking about a house with, uh, you know, five bedrooms, three bathrooms. He's talking about a royal lineage, a dynasty. And so down in uh, verse 27 of that same chapter, David says, Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant, like, therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. When you know what God has promised you, that's why it's important to know what God has called you to and what God has promised. Because when he has called you, when you have heard his promise, he is faithful and he will bring to completion that which he starts. And when you know what God has promised, that gives you courage to pray. You know, often for me, I find myself going, oh God, I'd really like this. I'd really like it. But when God has promised something, I have a courage to say, God, you have said this is what you will do. And so we come before you and we give and we invest believing that this is what you have for us. And so when God makes a promise, when God issues a calling, we can have courage to pray. The courage to talk to God, to talk with God about the promises and the callings. But here's the thing. Reading chapter 1 and chapter 2 of the story of Jonah aloud takes less than three and a half minutes. I timed myself just to be sure. This whole story is over in three and a half, well this part of the story is over in three and a half minutes. And we don't know how long from when Jonah got the call until he entered the whale, but we know he spent three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. There's a lot of stuff happening in this story that we don't know about. See, God could have just grabbed him by the hand and reached his hand down and grabbed him up and said, Jonah, I've told you once, you're going to Nineveh. But God wanted to do something else, not only in the great fish, but also in Jonah. Three days and three nights of silence and solitude. How often and many times over the last nine years you find yourself in a place of struggle, And like Jonah, sometimes it's my own making. And in that moment, I pause and I lift my eyes and I look again to God's holy temple and I offer a quick prayer. God help me. And then I move on. But then I'm challenged, when was the last time I spent three days and three nights in silence and solitude? Alone with my own thoughts and with God. Three days of enforced prayer and fasting. So coming up in, in uh, I think it's March and April, is prayer and fasting. Now, you don't read fasting here, but this guy is living for three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish. He's not eating anything. I don't care what the environment was like, I couldn't bring myself to eat in that environment. So three days of silence, solitude, prayer and fasting. And sometimes I think, at least part of me says to myself, I'd love to spend three days and three nights in prayer and fasting and silence and solitude. And then I'm reminded of the words of Jesus. 
You know, it's the night before his crucifixion. They've celebrated the Last Supper and they've gone out to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus has gone ahead with Peter, James and John and he says to the boys, can you just wait here? And he goes a little bit further on and he kneels down to pray and he prays, if it is possible, take this cup from me. And his sweat is like drops of blood. And he said, but not my will, but thine be done. And then he returns to his disciples and he finds them sleeping. And he says, Simon or Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. And so when I think about spending three days and three nights in prayer and fasting, I'm reminded that my first challenge sometimes is to wait one hour. Got to start somewhere. When I first started fasting, uh, beginning of this millennia, it was about year 2000, and I went for a number of years without fasting, and I went back to fasting regularly about 11 years ago. And in some of that time I have fasted for three days and three nights. But I haven't done the silence and solitude. Because when I get alone by myself, my thoughts go all over the place. And it's not long before I pick up the phone to check something out. But to actually stop and to wait on God. And so if I could do just one hour and then just another hour. And if we could do that and listen to God and hear from him, and call from him, not just me, but each one of us, speaking out what God has been saying, what God has been saying, what God is continuing to say, and to call us to. Last week, Andy left us with the question, what is your Nineveh? What has God promised you? And called you to. You may not be running away from it. But sometimes it's easier to leave it sit on the shelf. Because it is kind of costly. It requires something of you. Or it just doesn't feel timely. And it may not be the right time. But more often than not it's the right time. And we're just not ready. And so I come back to the words of David. Lord you have revealed this to your servant. So, Lord, your servant has found courage to pray. Maybe I do need to set a goal for 2024 to somehow find three days of silence and solitude for prayer and fasting. Please don't hold me to it. But I keep hearing the words, are you asleep? There's a brilliant video on what God is doing in the nation of Iran. And um, it's called Sheep Among Wolves and it's part two. And in this there's a, the, the, the story is told of a, an Iranian woman who has moved out of Iran with her and her husband. They've gone to live in the States. And after being there for a while she says to her husband, can we please go back to Iran? And her husband says, why would you want to go back to Iran? She says, because someone here is, spent, is playing a lullaby and I'm going to sleep. There is something in the culture that allows us to step back and go, actually, we're comfortable, we're okay. And she said, but when I was in Iran, I had to be alive in my faith. 
Well, I pray God doesn't have to take us to Iran to make us desperate enough, that he doesn't have to throw us out of a boat so that we sink into the depths and feel the, find ourselves among the, the seaweed. I pray that we would humbly learn to obey, to listen to him. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But if we call upon the Lord, he will grant us the strength we need. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message from the chapel in Te Atatū. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz or email info at thechapel.org.nz.